Chad, for that introduction. And uh, yeah, my name's Lloyd Hemstreet. I am not on the steering committee for Abide. Uh, however, I do work on the admin team behind the scenes. And I am a the pastor at Coopersville CRC, which Coopersville CRC's council has uh, taken over some supervision of the Abide project and especially the finances of uh, Abide projects. So if you go online on the website and uh, want to get involved and help out in any way that way, those funds come through Coopersville CRC and uh, we take care of, of, of directing those where they need to go to continue this work together seeking to be faithful to the Lord. We're thankful to have Jonathan Lehman with us today. He is an author, uh, speaker, pastor, as well as a professor uh, at a number of seminaries. So Jonathan, I know you uh, a bit and nine marks, but I'm not sure everybody in our audience will be really familiar with you. So if you would go ahead and start with a, a brief introduction, that'd be a great way to get going today. Yeah, happy to. Uh, Y'all can hear me okay? Uh, good to see your faces, if not meet you in person, and uh, grateful to be here with you. Uh, I am editorial director for Nine Marks. That's my full-time gig. I'm a lay elder. What, uh, I don't know, what do, you, what do you guys, do you guys call it ruling elder? Is that the language you would use? Eh, we use elder. We use elder. So Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a non-staff elder in my church, Chevrolet Baptist Church. Um, yeah, Chevrolet is suburban Washington, D.C. on the Maryland side. We're PG County. Um, I have uh, married to Shannon, four daughters. Um, Nine Marks is a ministry coming out of Capitol Hill Baptist Church that helps try, works to reach pastors and seminarians to help them build healthy churches. That's that's our goal. And uh, I spent the, the morning with an Anglican who's kind of an, uh, a reactionary ex-Baptist, and he is full-throated Anglican now. And the, the Baptist world he's responding to in many respects is the same Baptist world I'm responding to, kind of squishy, uh, a pragmatic, revivalistic, consumeristic, um, polity-less authority hating Baptist world and what nine marks in many ways is trying to do is to speak to Baptists and non-Baptists alike uh, about things like polity and membership and discipline and expositional preaching and, and a biblical understanding of conversion and evangelism and so forth. These, these are the things I write and teach and speak about. Um, I've written strangely three books on church discipline uh, a few on church membership, uh, a book on God's love, a couple of books on God's love and how that intersects with uh, membership and, and discipline, or how a right understanding of love, that is to say, holy love, that is to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments love, actually leads to the practices of church membership and discipline. And love plus love equals marriage is no love, right, according to the bumper sticker. And so, you know, it's a little preliminary on the talk. What I, what I want to share with you, with you guys is, is part of teaching, speaking about church discipline and leading your churches to practice church discipline is helping them to better understand love. Our culture thinks it loves love, but it doesn't. 
not God is love. It's love is God. I.e., we tell God what love is and ask him to conform to it. Right. And that is our, that is our God. So, so part of what you have to do is you're talking about things like membership and discipline is talk a lot about love. So anyway, that's one of the things I've written on. Um, yeah, I, uh, as, as, as Lloyd mentioned, I, I teach both at Southern Baptist and Southeastern Baptist theological seminaries, but I've also had opportunity to teach the Baptists at RTS. So RTS is a bunch of Baptist students. So they have me come in and, and teach there as well as seminaries and different parts of the planet uh am i covering the basis that you want so. to cover i think so that gives us a little introduction to you so yeah as i looked up and uh looked online for resources for church discipline there's not a lot out there uh i came across two of the books that you have authored here and um i guess i'm missing the the third one haven't seen that one yet but, uh, you know, discipline is a pretty important thing. And uh, in our denomination, being Reformed Church, we hold to the three forms of unity. One of them is the Belgic Confession of Faith. And so that in Article 29 says, the marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if it is maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, if church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, and Jesus Christ acknowledged as the only head of the church. So Amen. church discipline, one of the three keys, one of the three uh, tests of what is a true church. And yet we are coming into a place, we're in a culture where, boy, it's not talked about a lot. It's hard to deal with. And so let's go to this. Uh, let's start with church discipline. Is it even biblical? Uh, you know, is this a little bit like we talk about the Trinity? There, it doesn't say Trinity in the Bible. Where, where's the passage that says church discipline is this? Or how do we understand what church discipline is? Okay, so you, you, you want me just to answer questions as you ask them? Yeah, if, if that works okay, for you. Okay, happy to. And you want to, okay, well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me start with what church discipline is. Uh, it, it's, it's one part of discipleship, which is why there's an age-old conversation about formative discipline versus corrective discipline. You know, you form by teaching, you correct by correcting. And, and, and both are forms of discipline, what, could, what one could say. And in that sense, it's like anything involving teaching and correction, like math. You teach math. You, know, you teach the problems on the board, and you, then you correct the students' papers, right? Or, or, or a doctor who says this is how you live health in a healthy way, but, but then he, but he cut out, cuts out the, the cancer. Um, people use the word discipline differently. Sometimes they refer to the, the, the kind of the whole process from the private one-on-one and two-on-one, three, whatever, and then eventually before the whole church, or they uh, kind of that whole process, any any act of correcting sin we could talk about as discipline. Or uh, sometimes we were, use the word a little more narrowly to refer to that final act of putting someone out. Now, different denominational traditions will sometimes separate excommunication from barring someone from the table or removing them from the church. So I, 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 
I, I can't speak to your tradition and every other tradition. I can just simply tell you that as, as I understand the Bible's teaching, um, uh, church discipline in that final step is removing them from membership in the church and participation in the Lord's table, excommunioning them. That's not to say I might from time to time have a private pastoral word with, a, with an individual comes to me, confesses some major sin. I might say something like, listen, I'd, I'd encourage you to abstain from the table for a Sunday or two, just kind of as a pastoral word in your life, to, opportunity to reflect on the nature of your grievous sin. I might do that, but, but to, to formally remove someone from member of the church, membership in the church and formally remove them from the table is that final act of discipline. And that's because I understand m- membership is marked off on an ongoing basis by the supper, right? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep those two things glued together in that regard. Um, is it biblical? Well, Matthew 18. I'm just reading you guys a couple of texts just to get them in our heads. I, I know you know them. Matthew 18, uh, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every ma- matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if you refuse to listen even to the church, treat me as you would a pagan or tax collector. Okay, so what, 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 what do we have here? We have, we have someone sinning. He's confront, confronted privately. He doesn't stop. He's confronted a second time. He still doesn't stop. Eventually, he's confronted by the church. Tell it, tell it to the ecclesia. And uh, if he if he doesn't listen to the ecclesia, he is to be treated as an outsider. He's to be excluded or excommunicated, as I said, from the fellowship. Notice there's nothing, there's there's a concern here to keep it as small as possible, but there's also a willingness to take it to the whole church. Um, after all, what is what is what does it mean to be a church member? Well, it means to be affirmed in, in, in your profession of faith, right? The church affirms a profession of faith. And, and the church is now saying we, we, we can no longer say that. Um, flip to 1 Corinthians 5. Did you, did you want to interrupt me, Lloyd? Any point you want to nope, interrupt nope. me? This, this is great. This is what we need. We, we need to be reminded, hey, this is what God's word says. Okay. Uh, now, now uh, let me say one more thing on Matthew 18. So if, you know, you ask, uh, you know, my, my conversations with Presbyterian friends uh, have, have, who wouldn't take it to the church, you know, they, they would understand that the, the elders stand in for the, for the ecclesia, um, you know, conversations with, 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 uh, you know, Kevin DeYoung or Ligon Duncan, you know, they, they, they would both say, sorry for the noise in the background here, A walkie-talkie school, walkie-talkies, uh, the, you know, the, the elders step in for the church. That's as a congregationalist, small c, and Baptist. That that's not how I would read it. I would just tell it to the ecclesia. And 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 notice you have, notice you have a numeric crescendo, right? You have one, to two or three, to more, right? There's a growing number, uh, to to the assembly, literally translated there. And I, I, I presume that Jesus has, you know, both pastoral and potentially theological reasons for that numeric crescendo. So even if you're not a congregationalist with me, which I trust you're not, uh, I, I would still encourage you to find some way to tell it to the church. After all, the entire church 
whether that's 16 of you or 600 of you, their relationship with this individual now changes. We can talk about what that change is, but it changes and they need to take ownership of it in some form or fashion. So even if you brothers might uh, uh, invoke a slightly different decision-making mechanism, whether it's just purely through the elders or it's the whole congregation, as, as I, I, would, I would maintain, I would still encourage you to do what you can to tell it to the church both before and after. You know, that the, the deed is done, as it were. The decision is made. Whoever you say makes the decision. Um, okay, sorry. First Corinthians 5. Uh, verse 1. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. Commentators assume a step stepmom, stepmother. And you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship? You know, there's the language, put out of your fellowship, the man who did this. Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Now, if you want to know also why I'm a congregationalist, here it is, this next verse. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, I think Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Notice where the power is located. It's located in this assembly. Hand this man over to Satan. You, you declared him a, a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. You're handing them back to the kingdom of, of this world and Satan. So that, why purpose clause? So that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Um, here, Paul doesn't even tell the church to warn the individual, right? He just tells them to hand them over to Satan, declare that this man is no longer a member of the kingdom of God, no longer a member of the church. Verse 12, if you look down there, you see Paul even calls this an act of judgment, not final judgment, certainly not, but it is an act of judgment. Are you not to judge those in sight? So Paul, verse 3, has rendered his judgment, and now he's asking the church to conform to that same judgment and exercise that same judgment. Why, why, why does Paul move more quickly than Jesus? Well, a couple of reasons. First, Jesus seems to move step by step to test the man's repentance, whereas Paul has, as I said, already passed judgment on this man. He, he's unrepentant, right? That, that, that is Paul's assumption here. And, you, you know, reading through chapters five and six, that, that's very apparent. I won't take the time to prove that to you right now. So that's the first thing. So, so Jesus is testing for repentance. Paul has already arrived at that judgment. Second reason, the sin Jesus is discussing is private and unknown, whereas this sin, we know from verse one, is already widely known. So to put these two reasons together, we, we, I think we can say Paul's situation begins where Jesus' situation ends. So Jesus, Matthew 18, is working up to where Paul begins. Hand him over, right? In other words, brothers, there's, there, there's no one-size-fits-all for church discipline, uh, but there are certain principles that you're going to apply in, in to every process. But, you know, Matt, it's not as if Matthew 18 is giving us instructions on how to program a computer, like first this, then type in that, then... No, it's, it's establishing basic principles 
that are, are relevant in any and every situation. So, uh, you know, often that, that first step between you and the brother, that might, might take months, might be a number of conversations, depending on whether or not he's showing signs of repentance. You know, and then you take it to, you take a few other people there. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, uh, my, my, my first experience of, with church discipline was back in the 90s. It was, it was a running buddy of mine. And um, I thought we were good friends. And uh, we were both single there in Washington, D.C. at the time. And one day we were sitting at lunch and we were talking about a girl I was dating. And, uh, and then I said, well, what, what, what about you, Austin? You know, we never talk about who you're dating. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not dating anybody. I said, uh, is anybody you're interested in? No, not, not really. And then it's kind of single, sarcastic, foolish young man, I said, and just, you know, I would never come in speaking this way. I just said, what are you, gay? And uh, he said, yep. I said, I was kidding. And he said, I wasn't. And uh, I'm like, okay, wow, I'm suddenly in a very different lunch than I thought I was having. And uh, then I said, well, you, you, you know what Jesus says about that, right? And, and the Bible, he said, yeah, but, uh, uh, and so for a long time, Jonathan, I fought against it, but, but, uh, you know, I was praying about it one day, God told me it was okay. And I said, no, he didn't. And, uh, so I, you know, I had my conversation with him and then I went, I got, I went and got Brad and Brad and I had a conversation with him, but he was, he was convinced it was fine. And eventually I went to the elders and the elders had a series of conversation. I wasn't an elder back then. This was in the nineties, as I said, elders had a series of conversations with them and eventually went to the church. The, the, the point of the story though, is it didn't like follow to the letter, Matthew 18. It's, you know, there's no elders then spoke to him in the, in Matthew 18, but, but these, these, these principles are being established, right. As, as, as we were trying to do, I, you know, I can give you, I could tell you other stories of a, you know, embattled husband and wife and you would drag on for months. And yeah, I think they're repentant. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, they're repentant. No, they're not. You know, and you know how these situations are pastorally. They're, they're all messy. Anyway, uh, Titus 310 warn a divisive person once then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them. If you're jotting down notes, you can put in 2 Corinthians 2, 6. You can put in Galatians, write down Galatians 6, 1, Ephesians 5, 11, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 15, 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. You get the point, right? This is all over our Bible. And in fact, friends, if you wanted to do a whole Bible theology of this, you'd go back to Genesis 3, right? You'd go back to Noah's Ark. You'd go back to ancient Israel, people being placed outside the camp for being unclean. You'd, you'd go back to exile, right? God has always wanted his people marked off from the world. He's always wanted there to be a line between church and world or people of God and world. And he's wanted that line to be clear. And for those who are living in unrepentant sin, he puts them out right uh we, we could we could do a lot more biblical theology on this if, if you wanted to yep. l l last last comment here lloyd and then i'll stop babbling and let you ask further questions what, what does church discipline mean does it mean you're sending someone to hell well no that'd be an old, older roman catholic teaching 
Does it mean that you're saying with absolute certainty that so-and-so is not a Christian? No, not quite. We don't have Holy Spirit X-ray vision eyes. Rather, we're saying we as a church can no longer affirm that Joe is... We are saying that we can no longer affirm that Joe is a Christian. When we brought him into uh, the church through baptism and supper, we're affirming Joe's profession of faith. And what are we doing now? Uh, we're, we're removing. And, and if church membership at its very heart is this affirmation and oversight, uh, it's, it's skeletal structure. Discipline that is a removal of affirmation. It's a new press. The first press release said, Hear ye, O nations, Joe is a Christian. Now we're sending another press release saying, mm, We take it back. We, we, we have n- no confidence in saying that Joe is a Christian. So that, that is what you are saying uh, through an act of discipline. Okay. Well, uh, you, you already touched on this as we started out, but uh, our world and, you know, this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about you're making a judgment. Of course, yeah. uh, Matthew 7, verse 1 seems to be the most common, best-known uh, verse in the world today. You can't yep. judge. Uh, our culture would look at this and say, well, that's not loving. That's not loving it to, to, to act in these ways towards other people. They're, they're, they're part of you. You can't make distinctions. You can't make division. That would be against love. Um, yeah. How does, how does love and and discipline match up and and where's the direction there? Great question. Uh, first, let's just look at you shall not judge. On the very next verse, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What is that? That sounds a lot like a judgment. That sounds a lot like you're still called to exercise discernment here, right? So so either Jesus is contradicting, you know, Matthew 18 and Matthew 7, Jesus is contradicting himself. Okay, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that whatever he means by you shall not judge, doesn't contradict Matthew 18. Uh, or frankly, as I just said, the very next verse and not casting pearls before swine and knowing them by their fruit and different kinds of trees, right? Uh, no, rather what he says, what he means when he says, do not judge, he's, he's, you know, do not put yourself in the place of God and, and, and render final judgment on a man. That is, that is not your job, right? But are we to offer proleptic foreshadowing judgments now in marking off the people of god yes you know the entire new testament is then filled with that is is this loving well think about think about hebrews 12 for a second where we read for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives it is for discipline you've had to endure god is treating you as sons so when you guys are teaching about this, I, I, I think it's important, as I said a moment ago, to teach that you're doing it fundamentally for love's sake. Well, fundamentally for obedience sake, and in that for love's sake, love for the sinner's sake, that they might come to repentance, love for the church's sake, and uh, the weaker Christian's sake, that they might not be led astray. Think 1 Corinthians 5, 6, lest a little bit of yeast work through the whole batch of dough. Love for the non-Christian's sake that they might not receive a false view of 
Christianity through blatant hypocrisy, and of course, finally, for love for Christ's sake, that we would represent his holy love in our personal and our corporate life. When we commit to join a church, we commit to loving one another, but it's not just any love with which we are to love one another. It's not what Hollywood calls love or passive parents who spoil their children call love or two homosexual men call love. It's Christian love, repentant love, holy love, right? Uh, How often does Jesus redefine love for us, especially, you know, think the gospel of John. If anyone loves me, what does he do? He keeps my commandments. In the Bible, love, you can do a flow chart. Love leads to obedience, and obedience, my flow chart back, is a sign, is a picture of love. You with kids know that. When your kids are disobeying you, you're not feeling very loved. And with good reason, they're not loving you. Right? Uh, so, yeah, we, we, need to, we need to take all that cultural baggage that we bring into the church in which love has been defined by Elsa and the Little Mermaid and you know, dead poets society or whatever. We need to chuck that out. Sting. If you love someone, set them free. Uh, we need to, to, to recognize, okay, there are true things in that. It's not all wrong, but we need a more robust biblical view of love. And there for that, we look to the Bible. That kind of love is not going to be in contrast with discipline by any means. Right. Very good. You talked a little bit earlier about um, even in the Old Testament, this distinction between, you know, those that are holy and God making his distinction over his people. Uh, So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of of purity and witness. Uh, How does how is discipline critical for the for the purity and the witness of, of, of the church? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, I, you know, I think you're disciplining for the sake of obedience and, and love. I think you're saying you, you're also disciplining for the sake of holiness, purity, health, witness. So I, I, I read a moment ago, the Lord disciplines, he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. But let's keep reading. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest. This is an IV harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I, I don't usually like read the NIV, but I, I like that phrasing harvest of righteousness and peace. Just it's, it's a beautiful picture, right? You think rolling fields of, of wheat, a harvest, but what, what is, but what's it, what is it rolling fields of, of, of righteousness and peace? What, what do rolling fields of righteousness and peace look like in your congregation? What do they look like in my congregation? Whatever it is, I, I want that. You know, that sounds beautiful. You want that. How do we get it? Well, in part, through discipline, right? And by the same token, I, uh, whenever our church has brought an act of discipline before the whole congregation, you can be sure the following week, the number of phone calls to the elders just increases dramatically as members want to confess their sin and ask for help in the battle. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, Paul picks this idea up in first Corinthians six. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, 
love and malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity or truth. So yeah, I remember one time we, we, uh, elder Greg stood before the congregations a number of years ago. And he said, um, uh, we, the elders are here to tell you about, uh, Christian and, uh, it's actually his name, Christian and, uh, Christian has been unfaithful to his wife. And the elders have been working with him for a while, and it seemed like he was repentant, but we just learned this week that he moved out, uh, left his wife and children, and moved out with his mistress. And so now we, the elders, are standing in front of you to tell you that, uh, you know, the Bible commands us to tell it to the church. We're, we're telling it to you, and uh, we're calling you to speak to him. If, if you have a relationship with Christian, please exhort him to repent. If you don't have a relationship, you know, please pray. And uh, if nothing changes between now and the next regularly scheduled members meeting two months from now, if nothing changes, the elders will come back with a recommendation for removal. You know, so all of that to that very last part, I, I assume you guys within your polity structures could do. You, I, I, I don't know if you would feel bound to have the whole church act together and say we remove but i think you could do everything else there um, and I, i'd encourage you to do that that too but we'll leave that to the side anyway so i remember that that was a sunday night two nights later i'm, I'm out with david and david's a young single man who i'm discipling and we went out for dinner then i drove him home to his house and he was sitting there in the car and he got open the car door started to get out but then kind of, you know, uh, to, had second thoughts, sat back down, shut the car door, turned towards me and said, Jonathan, I cannot stop thinking about Christian and his wife and what you guys told us on Sunday night. I'm like, yeah, I hear you, brother. And he said, Jonathan, I hate sin. And I said, yeah, brother, it's a liar. It's a killer. And uh, we talked about it a little bit more, and they eventually went inside. Okay, what, what was happening inside of David's heart? Because we practiced public church discipline. We, we didn't hide it behind closed doors. We, 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 we sat all the kids down at the family dinner table, said, okay, kids, older, buddy John, you know, older brother Johnny's left home. What are we going to do about it? This, this isn't, this isn't a business school case study. This is not reality TV. This, this is our family. Johnny has left home. What are we going to do? Meanwhile, David's sitting there. He's watching all of this and his heart is learning to hate sin even more. Right. Wonderfully. All those things we preach about sin and adultery and okay, we're, we're practicing it now. We're really doing it. And so it is growing the, the whole church in holiness and health. And in the process, to your second question about, or second part of your question about witness, we're sanctifying the body. We, we are presenting a, 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 a brighter, clearer witness for who Jesus is. Jesus does not stand with the adulterer. Jesus does not stand with the abuser. Me Too movement? What are you talking about? We, you know, we, we've been here for decades. Thank you very much. My church, we, we put out abusers because Jesus does not stand on the side of the abuser, you know, 
And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, my fellow elder telling a story of walking down the street a few years ago, this is back in the nineties, actually walking behind two homosexual men and they were scoffing the church and how the church was no different than the world. And, you know, all he could do is concede the point. What, what kind of witness is that? Right. Because the, the pastor had recently fallen into adultery and, you know, so brothers, if there, if there's a, a known adulterer in your church choir, you can forget about your evangelism programs. You're wasting your time in that regard. Right. Um, something that we as Christians in the West with all of our instincts for tolerance and inclusion fail to recognize is the evangelistic power of exclusion. We miss that. We don't understand that. We understand the evangelistic power of inclusion. We don't understand the evangelistic power of exclusion. And yet again, just think throughout the Bible. There's always a line that God places there between the inside and the outside. Think of think of think, think of um um the flies. No flies in Goshen, flies in Egypt. And why does God say no flies in Goshen, flies in Egypt? He 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 says because I want my name known among all the Egyptians, right? And that these are my people, and I am their God. And so he draws a line with flies. <laughs> you know, like, all right, there it is. Um, think of Second uh, Corinthians six. Come out from them. Uh, touch no th- unclean thing. Be separate. What, 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 do, what do light and darkness have in common? Light, Christ and Belial, right? The temple of God with idols. And then, and then, as I said, don't come out from them, touch no unclean things. And you are, you are my people. I dwell among you. Okay, that's Second Corinthians 6. What's one chapter before? We are Christ's ambassadors, preaching a message of reconciliation. So somehow in Paul's mind, this come out, be separate exclusion is not in contradiction to one chapter before ambassadors of reconciliation. So healthy churches uh, build a better witness over time. We think in short-term ways, but long-term thinking is like, yes, I want a healthy body and that's better for our witness. Yeah, that's better for our witness. That's better for our church family what is the goal with the person that is receiving discipline though what is the the goal of church discipline towards the one that we are excluding well the goal is 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 to warn them that they are living in self-deception right they're they're, they're driving down the car down the road and and there's a bridge out ahead and they're not listening to the bridge out bridge out bridge out you're 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 uh, you're convinced that you're you're okay with Jesus that you can have Jesus in your adultery, but you you can't. You know, go to Second First Corinthians six. Those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're seeking to warn them and reclaim them for the gospel. So it has a warning, judging purpose. Um, it also has a redemptive. We're trying to reclaim you purpose. And it's not, again, the final judgment. It's a shadow of the final judgment. Two-dimensional 
within, nothing to its shadow, but pointing towards the substance, the, the, the great, terrible thing to come, right? How terrible would it be for a member of your church who shows up before the throne of God, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he says, well, I was a member of, you know, this church. You lived in unrepentant sin the whole time. The church didn't say anything. They didn't warn me. What an unloving church that would be. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, okay, so warning, judgment. Um, um, uh, seeking to reclaim, and as I said before, you're you're seeking to protect the whole flock, right? A little bit bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So I would say those are some of the main purposes of yep. definitely of seeking to reclaim. I mean, yeah. the you gave in your your book a testimony of those that heard the warning, finally heard that that God's spirit worked even through that being put out. And they turn back. I could, yeah, I could, I could tell stories. Yeah, wonderful stories of restoration. Right, right. So it's not to feel superior, but we're still acting in love because we want them to see the danger and God to call them back from it too. So, well, I mean, think of Book of Proverbs. You know, the, the parent who who spares the rod hates his child. Now that's culturally counterintuitive for us. Mm -hmm. We do not understand that. It's still true. And, and so it is in church discipline. Another question I had for you here, um, and I don't know, this probably ties in more with our church polity, with being a Presbyterian uh, form of government more than a purely congregational. Uh, but how does church discipline, what would you say towards church discipline, towards pastors, elders and those that are getting into to false teaching wrong teaching how how would you uh say say church discipline should be applied or, or how does it match up in those situations what what would be some thoughts for that you might have in that regard well we have to we have we have to turn to uh first uh, timothy 5 where where uh paul says do not entertain a charge against an elder unless by two witnesses why is that? Well, I think he knows that um, he knows that leaders are going to put themselves they're put themselves in places where they're going to receive a lot of flack almost necessarily. I think it's probably more common to you know give charges against your leaders than it is other members of the flock. We we had a, a man come to our elder board as years ago, and he said, "I'm going to call him Joe. Uh, Joe is intemperate." I've seen him lose his temper on a number of occasions and he struggles with anger and you guys need to do something about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, I, I think he said he's not qualified. He shouldn't be an elder. And uh, we said, okay, thank you for sharing that. Uh, do you have anybody else who's bringing that charge with you? Um, no, it's just me. Well, listen, until, until you have someone else that you can bring that charge with, uh, we're not in a position where we, we, we think we should receive it. And uh, now he himself turned out to be the intemperate one. And we eventually excommunicated for literally beating people up in the church. Uh, so, 
Yeah. Now, where it goes from there, how do you handle it from there? Let's suppose you became a two witness or another witness. Well, I mean, I think we as the elders would have to, to survey it and investigate it. And eventually, um, there's two questions at stake, though. And I think this is important that there's, there's, there's two roles you possess as an elder. You, you possess the role of member and you possess the role of elder. And removal from one is not necessarily removal from the other. You know, let's, let's suppose, you know, you know, a friend of mine was, was in another church was uh, caught being drunk um, and uh, got a DUI and uh, the congregation rightly removed him from, from the office of elder, but he was repentant. So he happily remained a member right? What's the standard of membership? Repentance and faith. What's the standard of being an elder? Above reproach and all the qualifications listed by, by Paul. And I think evangelicals often get confused here. So say a man disqualifies himself with, uh, say, adultery or something. He's repentant. He's terrible. He feels sorry. Oh, and, and his wife and him go to counseling. And she stands with him and they stand before the church and everything looks good because they're repentant. And, and some people quickly say, well, let's put them back in the office or it's been a year, right? Why can't we put them back? It was, it was a year ago. Well, yeah, he is repentant. Praise God. So he's still a member. Praise God. He's not living as a one woman man, right? Husband of one wife. He's, 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 he's not trustworthy in those ways so it's going to be a good long time if ever right where he's he can he can have the congregation's trust there before i install him back in that office so when you're dealing with elders you got, you got to keep those two things two memberships distinct in your mind as, as you prosecute it um yeah, dealing more so with a false teacher, though. How would, how would you, you have a someone that's pastor and ordained, but they go off the rails and they're preaching another gospel? Yeah. How does how does church discipline enter into that, or is that a separate? Would you say that's a separate? No, thing? I, would, I would say that's a, I would say that's the same thing. But there, but there, if it's a false gospel. Not only is he, you know, disqualifying himself from office, he's, he's, he's disqualifying himself from membership in the church, right? So I think false doctrine leads to excommunication. So I'll give you, you know, a, a, friend, a friend of mine had a, a Sunday school teacher that started teaching a false trinity and, and was intransigent in his false view of the trinity. This was years ago, and none of the recent, you know, things that have been going on. And though no, he was, he was, he had to be excommunicated from the church. In the same way, now this might shock and offend some of you, but our church has excommunicated people who have left our church to join a Roman Catholic church. And we have, our, our claim is not that Roman Catholics are never Christians. Our claim is that the Roman Catholic church, uh, in its in its in its its, its doctrine uh, denounces uh, sola fide, and uh, in its practice of the ordinances go against sola fide, right? There's their regenerative and their salvific, 
And so the two people who have left our church to, to, to go to a Roman Catholic church, uh, I had long conversations with one of them and somebody else with the other. And we talked about sola fide, justification by faith alone. And the guy was, had, been, had been being discipled by the priest, and he knew precisely what he thought and what the Roman church taught and what we taught and why he was no longer with us when it came to justification by faith alone. He explicitly denounced justification by faith alone. Yet, of course, still calling himself a Christian. So when he he asked to resign in order to join Rome, and we said, no, we're withholding that resignation. We're moving towards excommunicate. We move to excommunicate. Um, it's not just doctrine. It's, it's doctrine slash ethics. So our eldest might be germane to some of the things you guys are dealing with right now. Uh, our elders discussing it came to uh, the policy of what do we do when somebody leaves our church to join a homosexuality affirming church? And we kind of came, we came up with an internal elder policy. We, we did communicate this to the congregation that ordinarily, not always, ordinarily, we would recommend excommunication recommend to the congregation because we understand they have the final authority recommend we would ordinarily recommend excommunication for someone leaving our church to join the you know the the united methodist church with the rainbow flag out front whose website says we are an affirming church where god loves everyone um, because we understand that church to be denying the call to repent and believe they're denying repentance at least in that particular area of life. And that, that is a denial of the gospel, and therefore it is not a true church. And, uh, yeah. So that, that kind of, I kind of want a, a field from your question about a teacher, but I just thought some of those doctrinal things might be worth throwing in there. Right, for you right, ethical absolutely. Things. Thank you very much. Well, that was kind of the first questions that I had uh, prepped you a little bit that I was thinking along those lines, but uh, sure. we've got a number of other questions here. So we'll go ahead and start hitting some of the real good questions others ask, actually. Um, can I throw in one more comment? Yes, certainly. Please do. Uh, well, one or two more comments, just I think they're important. So like my own FAQ Q list, yep. I, I would throw these in just for, for you for you guys. And w one would be, what, what sins do you practice discipline for? Public discipline. Any, any sin you might practice privately, like, you know, you seem to have embellished that, you know, story there, Lloyd. But, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to take him before the whole church. So, so imagine for, for, uh, for a second, um, or let, me, let me put it this way. I, I would say you practice discipline for, for sins that meet three criteria, okay? Significant, out, outward, or, or verifiable and unrepentant and it needs to be all three of those criteria significant outward slash verifiable unrepentant and certainly so explain each significant back to the you know lloyd's embellished a story or or here, here here's another example let's suppose hypothetically let's suppose you have a husband selfishly eating all the ice cream in the house this is totally hypothetical selfishly eating all the ice cream in the house and the wife is like stop it and he's like uh, you know i really like it uh, and he kind of keeps eating it i don't think that wife should bring her husband before the whole church for selfishly eating all the ice cream. you guys can disagree with me that's my judgment it's just 
it doesn't rise to the level of significance. Whereas if that man leaves his wife for another wife, that does rise to a level of significance. What's okay. We got a spectrum here. What's what, 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 what's, what's, what's the standard. Well, I think the standard is, can we publicly continue to affirm this man's profession of faith? That's the standard. Now, with selfishly eating all the ice cream, I can understand how the Holy Spirit of God can be in somebody. He can be truly born again, regenerate, and yet still selfishly eat all the ice cream in the house. I, I can conceive of that. Whereas leaving his wife, I can't. These are super hard conversations for elders. And I praise God for the plurality of elders because I'm sitting at the table sometime and I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm so glad there's other wise men around me, right? But, but, but you got to exercise that judgment. So significant. Number two, verifiable outward. We're going to excommunicate you. Why? Because you're greedy. Well, how do you know I'm greedy? Well, you can just tell. No. Jesus says by the evidence of two or three witnesses, right? We're not doing mob justice here. We're not interpreting people's hearts. So when you're standing before the church in the case of discipline, you're not going on your interpretations. Only bring facts that people can agree all basically all agree on. Like even the person in the sin is, well, yeah, that's true. I, I am pursuing a same-sex relationship. If you go up there with your interpretation, he's proud. Now, it's proud, pride damning. Of course it is. But you just, you don't have access to the man's heart. So if you go up there and you say he's proud or he's greedy or whatever, the church can be like, how do you know, pastor? And you're going to, you're going to cause the bride of Christ to stumble. You're going to divide the body of Christ, right? Um, so, so, so two verifiable by the evidence of two, three witnesses. And then third, unrepentant. Right. So if, if a person is repentant, so far as you can discern, it stops. Now, there are some sins in the nature of some sins where it's hard to tell. They might claim to be sorry, but you're just like, ah, you've been lying to us for so long. And of course, you're sorry. You were caught. We're going to move towards excommunication anyway. That has, I can tell you stories that that does happen. Um, but your assessment, if, if you assess, I genuinely think he's even the most heinous sin. I genuinely think he's repentant. We and we as a church are convinced. Well, then it stops. The, the The standard for church membership, the gospel is not faith plus never committing that particular sin. That's not the standard. It's faith, right? So or faith and repentance. Um, the last thing I want to just say, throw out there. Um, family members, family members of excommunicated individuals are still family members and they still have family obligations to fulfill. Family is a, a creation ordinance institution. Church membership is a new covenant institution. So the father of the excommunicated son is still the father and, and, and should fulfill all the requirements of being a father. The, 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 the wife of the excommunicated husband is still the wife and still has biblical obligations to fulfill to her husband as a wife. Now she's got a tricky line to walk at this point. So she, she probably shouldn't ask her husband because she, she wants to support the church and the church's declaration. So on the one hand, she's got to support the church's declaration. On the other hand, she's got to be a loving wife. So she's going to eat meals with them. She's not going to ask them to pray. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, and that's, that's going to be hard. Navigate that. It's going to be very hard to do. Nonetheless, that, that's her, that's her job. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get into try and tackle a couple of these 
questions that were coming in. Yep. Um, you talked mentioned uh, how your church uh, deals with, uh, has dealt with a couple of situations, even talking about excommunication. If you go and join a denomination that's got the rainbow flags out in front, uh, what about a church that you were in closer uh, relations to? <laughs> what What do you do if it's not the UMC, but it's the Baptist church that you guys planted that starts going off the rails? What, what sort of is, do you see any sort of uh, principles for, hey, how yeah. does this work between churches? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I recognize some, some of what, you know, based on your email, Lloyd, mm -hmm. thank you for that, that this could be some of very much what you guys are, are facing right now. And I, I've, I've never been in that situation. Um, this is one reason I'm a congregationalist. <laughs> you know, so, so your problem, not mine. Um, uh, uh, the, but the, 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 I mean, the, 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 the clinically clean answer is you have to disfellowship. Okay. Now the kind of real politic answer, the clinically slash theologically clean answer. And I, I want you to feel that weight. I want you to feel that force. Now, I recognize that in the, the world of real relationships, it, it doesn't always uh, happen that neatly. And as with an individual who is stumbling in sin, so here I am working with a guy dealing with a form of sexual addiction, right? And, and I'm, I'm helping him over time get to a place where he can repent. And that means I'm forbearing sin. I'm, I'm overlooking sin, but I see some signs of repentance. I'm walking with him slowly. Uh, you know, is, is, is there a place for that corporately between churches? You know, good friends of mine, you know, the pastors at, you know, St. Helens Bishop Gate, Anglican Episcopalian Church in, in London, and the conservatives, the John Stott type conservatives who have decided to stay inside the Episcopal Union, even though their, their fellow churches are thoroughly and exhaustively compromised. I, I honestly, personally, I could not do that. That's why I would not be an Episcopalian. I understand why they do that if they're looking for reform uh, in that context. Um, yeah, I understand our conservative Methodist friends, you know, are, are having those kind of conversations right now. Our, our, our conservative Anglican friends got to a point where they said, we can't stay in the, the, the Episcopal church. We, we have to, we have to form our own union. I, and I, 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 I respect that. I think that was, that was a good move, but it took them a while to get there. And I understand that. So if it's just me and another Baptist church, it's clean, my church and another Baptist, I mean, we'll just disfellowship. But, but I understand the circumstances you're fa facing are, 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 are more complicated and difficult. Nonetheless, I, I, I do think there should be a kind of trajectory toward disfellowship. How quickly that happens, how that happens, I leave to you. But, but I think that needs to be an impulse informing the conversation there there are things that two just can't continue to walk together in there are divisions uh, and, and again by come. affirming by affirming them here's 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 the risk by staying in fellowship you're affirming a false gospel that's the question you need to ask yourself are we by affirming them as a church with whom we are in fellowship are we affirming a false gospel that's sending people to hell 
that's, the, that's oh. what we got to wrestle with. Very good. Next question here uh, says, we've adopted a therapeutic ethic in the church, which yep. considers dealing with sin a private process. Yep. What is the best way to bring a congregation back to dealing with repentance and excommunication as a congregational matter? Not just private sin. Hey, we're, we're together as, as a body. Where, where do you yeah. start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th those are those are those are great instincts. And if you guys get off, let's suppose one of you is listening to this and you're, you know, suddenly you're convicted. You're like, you know, I've been reading Matthew 18 and First Corinthians 5, and I just I've been feeling guilty because we've not been doing it. And Jonathan has just put the fire under me, and I'm I'm gonna go home and this Sunday I'm gonna I'm gonna practice ex excommunication. <laughs> you know, I got this guy's been hanging out and I'm doing it this Sunday you'll be calling me next week looking for a job. <laughs> All right. And so I would, I would tell you, don't, don't do it next Sunday. You got a lot of prep work to do. And the main prep work you're going to do is teaching, not just discipline, but teaching the gospel, you know, a robust, not Jesus saves or Jesus is savior gospel, but Jesus is Lord and savior gospel, not a just believe, but a repent and believe gospel right? The Holy Spirit actually changes people and leads to lives of obedience gospel, right? Um, you, know, you need to teach, uh, teach and practice church membership, help your congregation understand there's an in and there's an out. So you're teaching the basics of, of church membership. If you've not been doing that or practicing that, discipline is, is really hard. It's next to impossible. I was teaching on church discipline with an Anglican brother in, in London, number of years ago and, and you know, extremely squishy practices of membership in, 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 in the Episcopalian church there. And he was a conservative brother. And, and uh, somebody said, well, how, how would we practice discipline the way Jonathan described it here? And he, he the, the Anglican pastor was like, ah, we kind of can't. Um, so you, you, you need to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, make sure your congregation understands not a therapeutic gospel, Look up how David David Pallison defines that phrase, David, uh, therapeutic gospel, and make sure that's not what you're teaching. You're teaching Jesus and Paul and Peter's gospel and John's, teaching membership as that, practicing membership, uh, making sure you're teaching about discipline, multiple times, multiple ways, taking years to do it. That doesn't mean you if if you you know, you just wait till you happen to get to Matthew 18. That means you're applying all of Scripture corporately. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, any verse you're expounding, ask yourself, what does this text mean for us as not just as individuals, but for us as a church? You know, First Peter 1.16, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. What does this mean for us as individuals? Well, it means we, you know, we careful with our eyes, we got our hearts and so forth. What does this mean for us as a church? Well, it means we take care of who we receive as members. It means we help each other fight sin. We, we build relationships with each other where we have these awkward sin-confessing conversations. It means we practice church discipline. Okay, there I am in 1 Peter 1.16, but I'm applying that text corporately in ways that allow me to teach on this. And so I think you just kind of need to bring into your regular repertoire that question. What does this mean for us as a church in our life together? And discipline comes up a lot more. You need to be teaching. I think you teach about it in your new members class if you if you have one of those, right? So people understand what to expect. 
Um, it means you need to cultivate a culture of discipling in your church. If people aren't accustomed to having honest conversations, if at the end of church and at lunch afterwards, all they talk about is football, public discipline is a crazy idea. You're going to blow things up. No, rather, you're cultivating a culture of discipleship where, where uh, people live transparently and help each other fight sin. They, and they have those, those awkward conversations where they're correcting or receiving correction. And you, as elders, especially have to model that. If you are not modeling open relationships where you're uh, confessing weaknesses or, or receive, just let me ask you this, how, how well do you see, receive correction? If you're not a person who receives correction, and you're kind of known for not receiving correction, what are you teaching your church? You're teaching them they got to keep their guards up. They can't be vulnerable. This is not a safe place. This is not a place where we confess sin. This is a place where Phariseeism is a temptation, right? You're teaching anti-gospel lessons by being a man with your wife and your kids and your church if you can never receive correction. Whereas when you receive correction, you're showing that you find your, your honor and your worth and your justification, not in yourself, but in Christ, right? In a vicarious righteousness of Christ. And so, oh yeah, yeah you think I'm, you, you think I'm bad. I'm, you don't even know the half of it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm worse than you think. <laughs> oh, but man, I got Jesus. I'm, I'm fighting to follow him and I need your help in following him. So you elders really have to set the tone. I think, in, in, in cultivating that kind of culture, vulnerability, living at the foot of the cross, uh, which means we, we, we learn how to receive correction and give correction, have those hard conversations. I could keep going, but... Yep. I think that gives us the starting of, hey, this is what we need to focus on, and then we can work towards that, the full steps, the, the public discipline as well. Next question here. Uh, ask I'll try to give shorter you, answers. I'm sorry. Yeah, can you please address the issue of unity and discipline, i.e. some are saying we can't split over issues of sexuality for the sake of unity. So unity and discipline, um, how, how would you respond to that? Well, unity, not in the truth, unity and lie, a lie is, is no unity. Unity in a false gospel is no unity. Unity in things that are gonna send us to hell is no unity. So Jesus calls us to be one, but he calls us to be one in the truth, right? Now, does that mean we have to divide over every possible thing? Well, no, this is why we have a strong tradition of theological triage, first tier, second tier, third tier. You know, first tier, things that are the gospel or, or, or crucial to the gospel, we will divide over. There's those things that make us a church. And second tier things, things that both protect the gospel and make this church it, a church it, with its distinctives, our view of baptism, our view of church government, our view of women's ordination. Well, we're going to divide over that too. Not because we're saying those other churches aren't Christian. We're just, we're just saying uh, we, A, think these are true according to the Bible, and, and, and B, um, um, are necessary for standing the gospel over the long run. Our view of baptism helps preserve the gospel over time. Uh, so, so we are going to stand on these and have fellowship with, just not communion ecclesial fellowship with with our you know those who disagree with us the, the, those crazy baptists over there 
Um, third tier, yeah, we, we, can, we can agree to disagree on them, right? Uh, the millennium or speaking in tongues or I don't, I don't know, any, any, any number of other things you might, might put into that list. So, yeah, there are certain truths we just have to, and okay, and so what about sexuality? Yeah, I, I think repentance and obedience are tier one things. So if, if, if you're saying we can disagree on something that's, I think, is sending people to the hell, uh, I'm just, that's not the unity I'm looking for. Did I, did I answer the question? Yeah. Yep. Very well. Uh, next question here. Uh, how would you handle a situation where you're starting to go through the process, Matthew 18, talking to somebody, taking a couple people, bringing it to the elders, and they just go ahead and and leave the the church. They're they're not going to to worship with you anymore. Maybe they're going to the church across the road. Yep. Is is that out of your jurisdiction? And so they can no longer be excommunicated. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. what what where things come in there? The quote unquote preemptive resignation. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to move to discipline. No, you're not. I resign. Uh, we have included in our church constitution, our bylaws, whatever you want to call them that we with uh, we uh, we retain the right as a congregation to uh, withhold a resignation if the processes of church discipline have begun. So we say no. So that story I told you about my friend who said he was homosexual, he tried to resign. and and the elders said, no, I'm sorry. you you join the church by the authority of the church. The church possesses the keys of the kingdom, not you. Mm-hmm. you 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 seek to join the, you join the church by the authority of the church and, and you remove it by the authority of the church. And we, we have a witness problem. So like, if you just leave and we say nothing, you're making us liars. You're actually imposing yourself on us and what we say by doing that. Um, Cause we've, we've told the nations, we've told the city that you're a Christian and uh, we, we feel constrained of conscience as a congregation to remove that. And you, I just, you can't tell us we can't. So now, obviously, what about lawsuits? Well, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's potentially part of the cost of following Jesus. The good the good news at this point in American society is uh, I know of one or two situations where where individuals successfully sued the church, but insofar as you you are able to provide informed consent right? That you informed them of what they were consenting to by joining your church. Courts on the whole do not want to get involved in the interdisciplinary matters of, of, of churches. They, they, they're loath to do that. That could change, mm-hmm. but you're still pretty safe these days. So long as you're providing informed consent, you tell them in membership classes, it's in your documents. Yeah. That those parameters up front, that's right. That will protect you sufficiently. That's going right. forward but even if it doesn't obedience to christ right. is always first yep uh that was the that was the last two questions we we're dealing with hey what about legal issues and those sorts of things they were they were asking so yeah maybe just go over that one more time what is it you have them sign or what is it you in the new membership say to to lay out well, we, we, we're going to be in fellowship with you and we're going to hold you accountable 
even if you want to just drop out or to try and escape it. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, to, to join the, the church I'm a presently member of and the previous church I was a member of, uh, we had four or six membership classes. And in mm-hmm. those membership classes, um, and any new believer has to go through those too. So you're gonna, it's not just transfer somebody joining for the first time as a, as a new believer. They have to go through these classes. Uh, we, we explain the processes of what we expect if you want to leave the church and go somewhere else. Like uh, if you know, transfer to another congregation for a good or a bad reason, you know, we'll, 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 we'll let you. Um, but if the process of discipline is begin, begins, we, then we'll, we'll pursue that. Here, here's how discipline works. And, you know, I'll give a five, 10 minute version of what I, I gave you guys over, you know, 45 minutes. Um, so it's, it's just understood from the, and, and then in a member pastoral interview. So you go from the membership class to a pastor interview and I sit down with you. And I'll ask you about your testimony. I'll ask you to explain the gospel. I'll ask you if you've ever been disciplined from a church. I ask you if you've been divorced. I ask you um, to fill in any holes that when you explain the gospel, uh, you, so is Jesus still in the tomb? He died for our sins. Okay, is he still in the tomb? Oh, no, 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 he rose from the dead. Okay, great. <laughs> you know. um, uh, ask them if they've been baptized. And in the process, I'll say, okay, there's a few things I want to um, I want to share with you. N- number one, uh, let me talk to you about tithing. Number two, let me talk to you about the church membership directory and how I'd encourage you to use it as a prayer list. I'm praying for other members of the church. I'll talk about how we practice discipline here. And did, did you have any questions about that? I'll say, did you have any questions about the statement of faith or the church covenant that you you had? And then I'm going to have them sign, or we have them sign the statement of faith and sign the church covenant as a almost requirement if somebody's like no i don't believe in signing things like you sign your checks you know (laughs) but okay can can i can i sign that you agree with the statement of faith yeah that's fine you know so um yeah so that that's what we would do and to help with 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 legal informed consent Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for spending this uh, time with us and, and talking about discipline, reminding us sure. of this God's word, how it calls us to be faithful in this. And, sure. you know, there's there's a lot of churches in North America that have let yeah. this slip. Um, yeah, many of yeah, our yeah. churches, we have not been as faithful as we should. We've looked the other way. It's not yeah. something easier we enjoy doing, but it's what, what, one, last, one last curveball to throw at you guys it just, just yeah. popped in my head. Uh, what do you do if somebody says, I'm no longer a Christian? Do you discipline them? We don't. We let them resign. They've disciplined themselves. They've cleared up the false, the false radio signal a person sends when they say, I'm a Christian and I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. You got a false radio signal, right? And that's what the church has to correct. When if somebody says, I'm not a Christian, Okay, well, we effectively treat it like they died, right? It's just like, well, we're recognizing the fact that they've resigned and that is what it is. So that's one last extenuating circumstance, weird thing that does actually come up a lot, Yeah, a lot, but it it comes up. You guys know that. You've had people renounce the faith and we we do handle that one a little differently. That's it. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jonathan. And uh, yeah, may the Lord continue to 
bless you and your work with nine marks and uh yeah continue to pray for the broader church of christ Amen. as we struggle and wrestle through these things together all yeah. seeking to be faithful to our savior so amen very good thank you lloyd thank you friends yeah bless you all